today, today is Palm Sunday. Did you know that? Today is Palm Sunday. This is, this is Holy Week. This is the beginning of Holy Week. This is the week that, that this, is, this is the beginning that leads us towards Easter. We began this journey at the beginning of what we call Lent that helps us get towards Easter. But this begins the week that we call Holy Week. It's an incredible week. We'll post some things on social media on our website throughout this week to help you begin to think through this week. Uh, because I think it is very important. And could you, could you help me? Could you do that for me this week? Could you take each day? Would you look for those posts? Would you reflect on those things? Would you take those moments this week to experience the Holy Week? There is something special about understanding what it was like for those people in the first century to experience what it was like to go through this week with Jesus. It helps prepare our hearts for Easter so we don't just get there in this celebratory place. We're already there. Yes, I understand we're on the other side of Easter already. But can you help, can you go to that place where you begin to think about that and process that and see what that must have been like? Because the power of Easter is found when we recognize what happened on Good Friday. We recognize this Saturday that happened when Jesus, for all, uh, for all his followers, they recognize he's gone. And what must that have felt like? It helps us to understand what that Easter morning felt like for them when they find out that he is very much alive. So there is something about that. Now we can't get there until we understand where we're at, which is Palm Sunday. And churches all around the world celebrate this day. And it, it, it's, it's as Jesus, it's the celebration of the day, it's the remembrance of the day, when Jesus walked into, or, or actually rode into, Jerusalem. And crowds gathered to watch this man come into Jerusalem. And they look, and they're cheering, and they're shouting, and they're saying, who is this that is coming? They begin to take their robes off, which seems so strange to us, but they take their robes off and they drop them. They place them on the roads. And what it meant was that they were recognizing there is royalty walking in. This is their king who is coming. This is a huge uh, moment for all of them. They drop their robes and they say, this, this, is, this is the king. This is the king who has come. And then for others, they begin to take palm branches and they lay them on the road as well. The palm branches, for us, we kind of think of these people kind of waving these palm branches and we, we lose a little bit of the meaning. But for palm branches, they're dropping these palm branches because in their culture, in their history, these palm branches represent freedom. So you have robes that represent this king who is coming. You have palm branches that are waving and being dropped on the road that represent freedom. This is the king who has come to set them free. Now, if you've been in church very long at all, for you, you automatically make some assumptions about that. You think, yes, this is the king who has set me free from sin, right? We kind of begin to sound like Paul here. But I want us to back up and understand what the crowd would have felt in that because for them, there's something very, very, very different going on. And we have to understand this, to wrestle with this, to understand how this can apply to us and where we are here. So as they began to drop their robes, they began to put them on the ground, and they began to say, this is the king who is coming. They began to drop the palm branch and say, this is the king who is setting us free. Now, some people there, some people in that crowd may have been there a generation before when something very, very similar to this took place. If you were with us a few weeks ago, we learned about a group known as the Maccabees, a family that led a revolt 
that said that we are no longer going to be controlled by all of these other people. They're not going to reign over us anymore. We are going to be set free. We're going to have our own kingdom back. And so they revolted. And in an incredible moment in history, a person known as the hammer of God, the hammer of God, Judah Maccabeus comes into Jerusalem, marching into Jerusalem. People are dropping their robes. They're grabbing palm branches, and they say, this is the king who has come to set us free only a generation before Jesus. Now, the difference, as we learned, is that the hammer of God was very much that. The Maccabees came in with anger and resentment, with swords and weapons drawn, ready to take back Jerusalem to conquer this place again, to kill the enemies who were over them. And the people said, yes, that is who we want. Their revolt failed. And they enter another period where the people are again led by someone else. And they don't have their freedom. And so they begin to again look around. Who is going to come and set us free? Who is going to come and save us? Who is going to bring this kingdom of God into existence? And Jesus shows up. And he begins to preach and teach about the kingdom of God. And we listen to what he has to say, and we find all this incredible teaching. I just want you to hear something, that, that we look at it, and we hear his, his messages of, of, of mercy and grace and love. You ever, you ever realize that people sometimes miss the message of Jesus? Do you ever feel like sometimes you, you read what it says, but you, you land somewhere else, and you go, oh, wait, 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 I, I've created a Jesus in my own mind that's not really there? And that's what these people do. They hear kingdom of God again. They hear, they hear the words of Jesus and they say, maybe, maybe this is him. Maybe, maybe Jesus from Nazareth, maybe this is the next hammer of God. Maybe this is the actual king who will set us free. So he comes into Jerusalem with his disciples and, and they begin to, to get the crowd riled up. They get them excited about what's happening. They take their robes off and drop them because this is your king coming, riding on this donkey. Here he comes. They drop their palm branches. They say, he is about to bring freedom to us. And they begin to think in very secular terms again. He is going to give us the kingdom we want. He is going to avenge us for the enemies of God and of us. He is going to set us free. They have a very different picture of the Jesus than we think of. They begin to shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And it's this word, Hosanna, save us. Save us. Save us from what? Save us from our enemies. Save us from the people who continue to hold us down. Save us. Avenge for us. A very different picture in mind of who Jesus is supposed to be to them. This is the Jesus they're imagining. A rehash of this vengeful hammer of God. This tension matters. Because, see, Jesus entered the city with all kinds of expectations put upon him. 
People had all kinds of expectations about who this Jesus would be, what he would bring. They thought he would bring freedom. They thought he would bring justice. They thought he would be the king who would bring vengeance to their enemies. But then do you see what happens? Over the course of this week, as, as Sunday turns to Monday, and Monday turns to Tuesday, and Tuesday turns to Wednesday, the crowds begin to look around, and they begin to listen to what Jesus actually has to say, and they begin to realize, this is not who we thought this was. If they could go back in time and pick their robes back up and pick their palm branches up, they would probably have run the other way. They would have said, yeah, I kind of made a mistake. And you can imagine, right, because this is what humans do, right? We gather together, we get in a corner, and we go, listen, I thought he was one thing, apparently he is another, I'm out, are you out? I'm out, we're out, right? And they say, this is not, this is not who we thought he was going to be. So then, just a few chapters later, after Jesus had entered, we see this story go from celebration to rejection to tears, and finally to hope. That is Holy Week, that is what happens, that is the emotions that people go through, celebration, rejection, Tears and hope. Listen to Matthew 26. Just a, few, just a few chapters. Listen to this. This is what begins to happen. This is as everything shifts and moves and changes. As the crowds begin to turn from people who are chanting, save us, our king who has come to bring us freedom. Listen how quickly the story shifts another direction. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. So Jesus is gathered, he's speaking to his disciples. Judas shows up. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him, and going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But then how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? And in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, you did not arrest me, but this has taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples, and listen to this, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now there is a lot going on in this text. This is one of those moments where there's all these little drop-in verses that we could explore and go in all sorts of different directions, and I would love to do that. We don't have the time for it. We see this thing that he says, this has taken place to fulfill the writings of the prophets, all this. But I want you to hear a few key phrases here. I want you to hear some stuff that's happening in this incredible story. I want you to imagine as Jesus is being arrested and this disciple grabs his sword, he cuts off this ear. His intention is, you're not taking him without a fight. And then Jesus looks and he says, do you think that I've come? Do you think I'm here to start a rebellion? Is, is this is what you think? Some of his followers hoped the answer was yes. Look, the people weren't seeking a king who would be loving and merciful and forgiving. They weren't looking for a king who would say, go ahead, arrest me. That's what you're supposed to do. They wanted someone who would avenge them, 
who would pay back for their injuries, who would get back for their resentment. They thought, this is the only answer. So when Jesus says, have I started a rebellion? Is that why you've come? His disciples are probably sitting there going, somebody say yes. Somebody say yes, right? That is why you came, isn't it? It feels like it should be a rhetorical question. We say yes, and Jesus goes, you're right, let's go. And he doesn't. He says, no, 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 put your sword back away. Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine that moment? You just cut off someone's ear, you're ready to start a revolt, and he says, put it away. And you're like, oh, man, I was having fun. So I thought you were. I was ready to fight. I wanted to go into battle. We're going to make some stuff happen here. Now, it's kind of funny, but, but when we have anger and resentment and all this stuff built up in our hearts, I mean, it is hard to put your sword away. It is hard to drop that sword. Now, I, look, I, I hope that you're not grabbing swords and cutting people's ears off. We have a whole other conversation to have. But, man, we do it with our words. We do it with the way we treat people. We do this all the time. And we don't just do it. We don't, we don't just do it individually. We incite others to do it. This is what revolt is about. This is what, it's, it's leaning over and going, come on, help me. Help me get my revenge on this. People say, oh, I'm in. Let's go. Right? Gets ugly so quick. And that's, that's what's happening here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. And then listen to the final verse of this. Listen to this. This is so powerful. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Normally what we think happens there, right? We put fear into them. We say, oh, they got scared and they ran away. They were done. They, 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 they fled because they didn't want to be arrested like Jesus. But how many of them deserted him and fled because he didn't match up the expectation that they had? How many said, this isn't the Jesus that I signed up to follow? How many of his disciples beyond just those 12, but just the crowds that had gathered, all of the fans of Jesus, that when they hear this story, they say, I'm out too. And they desert. They flee. They say, if you're not going to be the Jesus that I wanted, then I want nothing to do with you. And I'm out. And they reject Jesus. So when given the opportunity to choose the way of Jesus, what do the crowds do? They desert and they flee. They rejected him, they rejected his teaching, they rejected his call to drop the sword, and they do everything they can to pick it up. And the story that started as a story of celebration of, Lord, come and save us, turns really ugly really quick. Listen to the crowds as they're gathered, what happens. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, the whole Sanhedrin, this kind of congressional religious group gathered together. They made their plans. They bound Jesus. They led him away. They handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So Pilate again asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply and Pilate was amazed. It's almost like he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, listen, you can get out of this. I mean, look, maybe we'll prosecute your enemies here. Maybe we'll get back at them what they did. His disciples are saying, Jesus, do something. Right here would be a great place to start a revolt. You got crowds ready? Let's go. Pilate represents everybody that, that has put, put us in this place. Let's get him. Jesus says nothing. 
Now, it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Now, this is one of those verses that just goes, and just flies right by us. Listen to this again, and let's pause. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. And we're supposed to look at the text and go, what uprising? Right? What uprising? What is he talking about? Who, wh- why is he telling us this story? This must be here for a reason. See, this is, this, is, this is just the nature of Jerusalem in this time. This is the nature of these people. They were always seeking vengeance. They were always trying to get back at their enemies. So there is just uprising and uprising and uprising and uprising. Somebody's walking around and going, okay, there's going to be an uprising on Tuesday. Who's going to sign up and come with us? So apparently Barabbas was one of those who signed up and said, hey, I'm in. Let's start a rebellion. Let's do it. Where Jesus says, drop your sword. These people said, let's pick it up. Let's do it. And they murder someone and the crowds look and they say, okay, well, what about Barabbas? So he brings Barabbas out. Do you want want me to release the king of the Jews, asked Pilate? But the chief priests, they stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So what should I do with the one that you called king of the Jews? If you want Barabbas, what do I do with this guy? Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What what crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And, And we listen to this story. And I just want you to feel and see what's happening here. I want us to enter this Holy Week understanding what's taking place among the hearts of these people. They're the very same people who cheer Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem. That recognize he is their king who has come to set them free. That they then began to listen a little closer. And they hear something in the message of Jesus. They listen to what he says. They say, wait a minute, this isn't what we signed up for. I don't want a Jesus of forgiveness. I don't want a Jesus of mercy. Somebody else shouts out, yeah, yes, one time he was telling this story and he talked about forgiving your enemies. Really? They said, I want that guy. And Jesus is standing up here bound. He says, is this your king? Is this the king of the Jews? Jesus says nothing. He says, okay, listen, I'll let you guys decide. Do you like Barabbas? He kind of sounds like your kind of guy. He likes vengeance. He likes to, to avenge for the things done to him. He likes violence. He likes to hurt people who've hurt him. Would you like Barabbas? And then on the other side, he says, what about Jesus? Do you want Jesus? No, 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 no. Give us Barabbas. Now, here's where this gets so interesting. In a parallel version of the story in the book of Matthew, we find out that Barabbas' full name, get this, get this, his full name, is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus, the son of the father. (laughs) Is that confusing to anybody? Is that confusing that Barabbas was named Jesus Barabbas? And then you had Jesus from Nazareth? Why why is it so confusing? A friend of mine said this. He he said, I want to know why they made this confusing. Were they trying to make it confusing? I don't think they even need to try because I think it's always confusing. So, so even early on, some, some of, the, of the first followers of Jesus, they try to scrub his name out. They said, we don't want to get him confused. 
We don't want to get this guy confused, the two Jesuses, but this is exactly what is happening. And this is exactly what it, we are in danger of doing, you and I. That we look up and we say, here is on this hand the teaching of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, Jesus from Nazareth. Listen to his incredible teaching on loving your neighbor, not getting vengeance, forgiving those who have hurt you, praying for those who persecute you. And then we have over here Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, the insurrectionist, the one who murders those. He says, I'm going to get them back. And we look and we're given an option. What Jesus am I going to choose today? One of those Jesus looks awfully familiar like the Maccabees. Because that's the story that we continue to tell ourselves over and over and over and over and over again throughout history. This is why our world is like it is. Let's choose the Jesus of vengeance. That's what people keep saying over and over and over again. So when the option comes to choose the forgiving Jesus, the Jesus that teaches us to love our enemies, the Jesus that teaches us to pray for those who persecute us, we look and we say, that's a tough sell. I think I'll go with this one. And we say, what do you want to do with this one? Crucify him. Just get rid of him. Just get rid of him. Over the past few weeks, we've shifted back and forth between a couple stories. We shifted back and forth between the story of Jesus and the story of a man named Joseph. Now, I want to take a shift here, and this is going to feel abrupt, but I want us to take a shift here for a second. I want us to continue to make this back and forth real quick. I want us to go back to the story of Joseph, because I think it helps us a little bit as we try to understand the story of Jesus and this rejection, what it's about to take place on the cross. Joseph's story was one of incredible resentment. It was one of anger. It was, few, it was a story that, that's even hard for us to begin to imagine. It's a story filled with incredible hurt as Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. And we've talked about this story a lot, so I won't try to rehash too much of it. But in Joseph's story, his brothers, full of resentment and anger for him, sell him into slavery. He's sold to Egypt. He goes down there for 13 years as a slave. How would you feel? If you had an opportunity and your brothers were before you, would you say, I think it's time to get you back? Karma has come. He sits on this throne because through an incredibly miraculous circumstances, he goes from slave to a ruler in all of Egypt. It's an incredible story. Famine happens and his brothers come before him, desperate and hungry. There's nowhere else that they're going to get food. They find out that Egypt is open for business. And they come in, they walk in this throne room, they say, well, come in here, and we'll, we'll hear your story, we'll decide if we want to give you what you're asking for. And they, they walk in, and they look up, and imagine the horror on their faces when they see their brother, who they had sold into slavery, now sitting on a throne. What kind of throne is he going to sit on? Is this going to be a throne of judgment? Is this going to be a throne of mercy? Game of Thrones starts tonight. That's the kind of throne that's about to take place here. This is where we think the story is going. It's like, what kind of king is he about to be? It's going to get real ugly really quick. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Joseph looks down at his brothers, and I want you to hear this. We've talked about this before. He forgives them. Joseph doesn't let resentment and anger take control He doesn't sweep it under the rug either. He recognizes the pain, the hurt that they 
they caused him. He names it out loud. Now, if you just sweep it under the rug, it's easier to get rid of. You don't have to address it. But he actually begins to name the hurt to them. Now, if I'm going to name the hurt of what somebody's done to me, I'm going to start getting upset, right? I had this happen this week that I began to think through something where somebody had hurt my feelings. And every time I played it over and over again, I just felt more peaceful about it. No, I didn't. Every time I played it over and over again, I got more and more angry because that's how our hearts usually go. I began to play it over my overhead. Oh, what will I say? What will I do? (laughs) One of my friends knows that I'm sitting there going, I'm going to, you know, you ever feel that way? Gather an army together. Let's get this guy, right? Get my vengeance. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to let that, whew, felt really good. (sighs) Listen to what Joseph does. This is so powerful. Guys, this is why we all need Jesus, right? You with me? Listen, in that moment, <laughs> he says something. And now, we're going to have our own little translation here. This is the Southeast translation of this. We learned that, the, that a word here is a powerful word, okay? Listen what he says. He looks at his brothers and he says, The story that you were trying to weave to harm me, God is weaving in to good. The story that you were trying to weave to harm me, God is weaving into good. And we have learned so much from this passage. Guys, that in those moments we say, listen, you, you are going to try to write my story, but you don't get to own it. You tried to write my story, you tried to do something with it, and all of that stuff, all of those edges, you think that you're going to weave a story that's going to harm me. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not what you get to do. It stops here. You've hurt me to this point, but I want you to know that you don't get to own the future. God is going to take the end of this here, and he is going to weave it for good. Now, here's what's kind of cool. In forgiveness, in forgiveness, in true forgiveness, it's almost an invitation. It's an invitation to say, do you want to come with me? Even though you hurt me, even though you harm me, Will you join me in seeing what God is going to do with this story? That is so hard to do. That is almost impossible, but that is what God does. Listen, listen. I wrote this down. I've been saying this over and over. Forgiveness, hear me out. Forgiveness is not allowing people to hurt us over and over again. Okay? Forgiveness is not allowing someone to hurt you over and over again. This is where it stops. Forgiveness is not sweeping away the pain and forgetting the hurt. Forgiveness is not allowing someone else's sin to own your story. Forgiveness, listen to this, forgiveness is trusting God with the ability to redeem all things and work all things together for good, even when it seems impossible to see anything else, right? This story looks like it's been written. This has been destroyed and torn up. You're telling me God is going to take it and weave it into good? Ah, I can't buy it. Really? Yeah. That's what forgiveness is. It's trusting the end of this story, that God is going to take something and make it beautiful. And that's what brings us back to the cross. I want you to see something amazing here. Luke 23, 
They take Jesus after the crowd has said, crucify him. He, 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 he's, he's, we want the vengeance. We don't want the forgiveness. Crucify him. Get rid of him. We don't want that. So when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgive them. Now listen, the cross teaches us that God can take the ugliest moment, but when forgiveness is present in it, that moment is transformed into the most beautiful expression of reconciliation imaginable. An author named Brian Zahn, I, I, want, you, I want to read this quote because this is, this is so powerful. Listen to these words. Instead of hurling curses and calling for revenge while he died on the cross, Jesus forgave from the cross. That act of dying forgiveness sealed the fate of the Roman cross. In time, the cross would cease to be an ugly image of torture. Instead, it would become a symbol of love. The symbol of forgiveness. The symbol of Christian faith itself. The cross had been the, uh, the symbol of the ugliest thing that human beings can do. Torture and kill. But because of its association with forgiveness of Christ, it became a symbol of beauty. If God can take the cross and turn it into the most beautiful form of mercy and love and grace... What can he do with the tattered ends of your life if you would become a person of forgiveness? What would happen in your life if you trusted God so much with this story of pain and hurt and what people have done to you and you said, I trust God so much that I believe that he can take this ugly story and turn it into something beautiful. And you say, that doesn't seem possible. And I tell you this morning, look at the cross. Look at the cross that was the ugliest thing imaginable. A place of vengeance where people are yelling out, crucify him because we don't want that kind of forgiveness. And Jesus says, too bad. Father, forgive them. And the cross is transformed in the most beautiful image we could possibly imagine. And that is what can happen with your life. If you would accept and become a person of forgiveness. Forgiveness.